from Mapa's Kinyarin celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. I am delighted to be chatting today with Javi Carrillo Klein, a senior from McLean High School. How are you, Javi? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you with us. Just to give our listeners a little bit of context, Javi and I met when I spoke at McLean High in June of 2017, and then she came to our Compassionate Sisterhood Yoga and Mindfulness Retreat in Arlington at Sun and Moon Yoga this past August. So, um, Javi, we were like, kind of decided on our theme for today let's chat a little bit about about those issues tell us first you have such an interesting history and ethnic history so how do you identify ethnically so i am the daughter of a mexican immigrant my mother is from guadalajara mexico and she came to the united states um, as a child and grew up but definitely still holds um, the Mexican culture and traditions in our household. And then on the other side, my father um, is from the United States, but he is a descendant of Jews of Eastern Europe. Of Eastern Europe. So um, my great-grandparents immigrated here from Poland and Hungary and Russia. And um, Judaism has also been a really big part of my culture and identity. And it's really great having two different um, aspects of the world that I'm able to identify with. I bet it is. That must be so rich. Yes. It's like such a history and such, just such a cultural wealth there that you get to draw from on both sides of your family. What would you say, um, what would you say are the things that you celebrate most about your Latinos, Latina side? Um, definitely. I'm very proud to be able to represent um, the Latina world as somebody who is like going and doing good things. I'm involved a lot and I'm really I'm there to break the stereotype of how people a lot of people will perceive um, the Hispanic community as the immigrants who come and do work like as maids and as construction workers. And of course, there are people who do that and um, do, are wonderful at that. But that's not the only thing Hispanic people are. And so um, I just really enjoy being able to go home to Guacamole and I speak only Spanish to my mother. So being able to have that factor of communication with so many more people is amazing. Mm-hmm. And just educating people on um, how I am Mexican and no, I did not like grow up in the hood or um, and I, I'm successful and I'm trying to do my best in this world. Mm-hmm. So wonderful and so important too. When I think about you speaking Spanish, I think, just think Spanish is such a Latin language of the heart. It reminds me of French in that way, you know, there's yeah. such a warmth to that culture and to that, to the origins of like where that language comes from as well. Yeah. And the the reason I love speaking it so much is because I can't only communicate with Mexican people. I can communicate with people from Spain and Argentina and just so many different um, countries speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's such a gift. Yeah, that is so wonderful. And so when you were growing up, did your mom speak to you 
in Spanish and your dad speak to you in English or did they yes. speak both with you or? Well, my parents actually met when, when my dad was a Spanish teacher. So they both speak fluent Spanish mm -hmm. and I grew up speaking Spanish only to my mom and English only to my dad. And at dinner time we would do Spanish. We Well, we still do Spanish only dinners. And actually I didn't find out till I was about seven or eight years old that my mom spoke English because- oh, wow. Yeah, she refused to speak English to me. And whenever she would say, whenever she would, I would say something in English, she would say, con permiso, which means excuse me in Spanish. <laughs> I Good don't, for her. Yeah, I don't remember this really well, but my parents tell me about a day where my mom was speaking English to another parent or something. And I was just shocked that because I'd never heard her speak English before. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. And what a wonderful way to guarantee that your kids will be bilingual. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay. And so how about your, how about the Jewish side? What would be the things that you celebrate, the gifts that you feel come from that side? Um, well, definitely the fact that Judaism is not only a religion, but it's a culture. I've been lucky enough to travel to Israel, um, the Jewish homeland. I spent a semester there, and that was a really big step in my learning about my Jewish identity. Um, I got to travel around the country for four months learning about its history and culture. And um, not only that, but growing up at Temple, going to religious school— it, Judaism, being Jewish has really taught me um, some important values of, for example, taking care of the earth. Tikkun olam means repairing the world. Um, Judea, at my temple, there's a lot of community service opportunities. And we learn about kavod, which means respect, and kihilah kadoshah, which is a loving and respecting community, which are all things that I think are so important. Um, those are just some of my favorite things about being Jewish. And of course the food is very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a good perk. Yes. Uh, that's so wonderful. And so have you found yourself since you're, you know, bridging these two cultures and, and marrying them within your own blood and heart, have you felt fully accepted by both sides having, you know, having a sort of half Latino background and a half Jewish background. What has your experience been within both of those communities when you enter into those communities and people know that, you know, you have a Jewish dad and a Mexican mom? Oh, uh, that's a great question. It's actually really applicable right now. Um, on my Mexican side, I definitely feel included when I go to Mexico. I, my cousins speak since, since my mom, um, has spent so much time in the United States and hasn't really kept up with, um, Spanish teen lingo. That's the one barrier I do have when I go to Mexico, talk to my cousins and they'll say words that I just don't know because obviously, a um, mother's words are going to be slightly different than a 17 year old's like myself. But, right. um, that's the only time I really feel like the disconnect of, oh, I live in the United States. I'm, I'm sometimes they'll make fun of me and call me a gringa, which means like someone who's been Americanized. Mm. Um, like, a, so I know it's teasing, but, um, there's definitely 
you can definitely tell a difference between my vocabulary and someone who's actually lived in Mexico. Yeah. But I just I still feel really connected to my culture and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, on my Jewish side, though, that's where it's very applicable. I'm actually writing my college essay on this right now. Oh wow! Um, I was. I am a reformed Jew, which means there's three sects of Judaism, and it's the one where um, the Jews, you read about the laws of the Torah, which is our holy book, and then you interpret them and decide which ones you'd like to follow, which Mm -hmm. ones are most important to you. And when I was in Israel, like I said, um, I met a woman, an Orthodox woman who follows all of the laws, and she said... I, she told me I wasn't Jewish because my mother isn't Jewish. She grew up Catholic. Um, and in the t- Torah, it says that Judaism comes from the mother's side. I've grown up Jewish my entire life. And all I've never done anything Christian. So it was just, it was a very traumatic event to be called not Jewish by somebody in a community that I really felt I belonged to. So I've been growing from that ever since. And I'm currently well um on to that. That sounds like a really hard moment. Yeah, well at the time I um couldn't really respond and I remember telling her, but I am Jewish. I'm a reformed Jew and she told me reformed Judaism is a joke. And just that was really hurtful. I cried a lot for sure. Um, But the path since then has been about me identifying even more strongly with my religion because I, for a while, considered converting to Orthodox Judaism, which would legitimize me in front of the Orthodox community. Uh But after a while, I realized that I'm a Reformed Jew and that's part of my identity and I don't need to let somebody else's opinion, so so close mind, such a close-minded opinion, steer me. Right, and let that drive the decisions that you make, essentially, about how you're going to identify within that community. Of course. So I... I was able to, with the support of like my family and Reform Temple, really come back to my identity. And um, right now I'm helping teach third graders a curriculum on Judaism and Israeli oh culture. How sweet. Yeah. So it just, I'm with that experience, it really let me down, but I'm able now to come back double as strong and identifying as a Jew and, um, it's definitely it she I don't know her name, but whoever she is out there, she really did change me. So I sort of appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? How some of the things that really knock us out in the moment become the most incredible fodder for us like opening and deepening and you know, really growing. Yes. I mean this the setback was hard, but you're right how it can really help. It's like when you break a bone and it heals back stronger and it's harder to break it after. Totally. And the beautiful thing about this whole thing too is that the heart is a muscle. A good friend of mine told me that once. He was like, your heart doesn't break, it's a muscle. <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. That muscle just, it keeps on pumping, you know, and it keeps on doing its job because that's what hearts do. 
Wow, I didn't think of it that way. You're right. Yeah, I know. A good, wise friend named Ray Napolitano, born and raised wow. in the Bronx. <laughs> really wonderful being. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so this kind of leads us into another question I have, which is to have a conversation about your experience, you know, regarding the interface between femaleness and race. I was just actually um, with a Zen sitting group that I sit with here locally, and the Dharma talk was on privilege. And in that Dharma talk, um, the Mexican-American woman said that she identified first as female because she'd had because her experience of being in a female body was just so much more notable than her experience of being, you know, of Mexican origin. So I'm curious about what your experience has been within that. Um, well, I will say that my mother has been, she's the one who's Mexican out of my parents and she is such a strong woman and um, just following her footsteps being a fem a Mexican female, she's really shaped who I am and how I identify with that culture. Something mm -hmm. definitely, um, definitely big about Mexican culture is that stereotype or that expectation of being the curvy, um, the curvy Mexican female who has a big butt and big boobs, because um, culturally. Mm -hmm. They like women who are Mexican tend to have that. But um, as a Mexican-American being in the United States and it's very in, in Mexican culture, it's very common to um, want to look your very best, especially with females. A lot of my aunts um, wear lots and lots of makeup and it's just very it's it's tradition to want to always present yourself in the very best way. So, um it's been it's been an interesting experience, I guess, because I don't wear a lot of or really any makeup. Um <laughs> and just being able to take myself away from things that I realize for me personally, I don't feel the need to wear a lot of makeup. Um but I have definitely noticed how the curvy Latina image has has um been a part of me I guess okay so talk to me more about that well um my family definitely in the Mexican genes has that look and I to an extent do as well and um but I I also have American and Jewish and so many other perspectives on how to present myself mm -hmm. that I don't always, I'm, I don't always wear like the very best clothes. Like I, I don't always look 100%. I will wear to school a t-shirt and shorts like I did today mm -hmm. with no makeup mm -hmm. and a messy bun. Mm -hmm. um, I don't always feel the need to like show off. Like it's very... The culture can be very, if you got it, flaunt it. And I don't always um, live up to that, I guess. Mm, interesting. Interesting. But you're just sort of moving. It sounds like in a way, too, you've adopted kind of an American culture when it comes to, what would you say, your sense of personal style and even being in your body? Because what you're describing sounds like kind of a typical American young woman going to high school, right? A pair of 
shorts and a messy bun. That sounds like half the girls in the United States right now. <laughs> yes. Right? Especially when you have a bunch of tests and I don't have time to wake up early to plan a nice outfit. <laughs> yeah. Tests and exams and, you, you know, just, and also that, that, that's, that's also kind of a cool, sometimes like the style can be like, it's cool to look like you haven't tried very hard. Right. I mean, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely part of what I'm seeing. So, um, so I mean, that's great. You're sort of finding your way within that. So, and how about in terms of, let's talk about body positivity and that, like actually, you know, body shape and being in your body, like having, if you have some of your mom's genes, do you, are you, is your feeling one of comfort and one of beauty and embodiment in your body? How has that part of your journey been? Um, well, I will say that after, honestly, after your talk and especially the retreat, um, I've felt so much better about myself. I've never had serious, serious body image issues, but I have been in some phases of intense dieting and, um, just always checking out myself in the mirror and saying like, oh, am I skinny today? Am I skinny today? And um, I've definitely grown from that. I think things that you've taught me um, in your talk and in the retreat, such as looking in the mirror and noting something you love about yourself instead of noticing a flaw that you believe is a flaw. Um, another thing is just allowing yourself to realize that the messages that your brain is sending you of like fat and ugly, that's just your brain being mean. And it's not always, it's not always true. Sometimes the meanest person in your life can be your own brain. Right. And which is just a reflection of our dominating cultural operating system for women. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Another thing I really liked, um, is something you showed us that said you wouldn't be call you won't be mean to your best friend and say like you're fat that's bad mm -hmm. so why would you say that to yourself yeah um, so that just things like that um I've really grown to feel so much more confident and I can look in the mirror and I mean I'm not like super skinny or anything um but I can just be happy with who I'm, the body I'm in. I, I've learned to love the skin I'm in and I really credit that to you. Okay. I've got tears in my eyes now. <laughs> That's what it's all about. That's awesome. I'm so, so, so happy that that's what you're nourishing inside of yourself and with all of your tapes. And I just want to like pause for all of our listeners out there that, you know, especially when you're younger, you're the neuroplasticity of your brain is so flexible. And so you can actually take some of that, those old tapes that can be so, so mean and unenlightened and reprogram yourself and say, okay, I'm going to download a new operating system because that old cultural operating system isn't working for me. It is not life affirming and it doesn't celebrate, you know, me in my wholeness and complexity and unique humanity. And I'm going to take a stand for myself. And in taking that stand for myself, I'm going to be taking a stand for my sisters everywhere. And I think that that is really where the rubber hits the road in turn, you know, on this journey of loving the skin that we're in. It's like, 
how are we going to respond back when we when that old tape starts to play? Are we going to give it the bandwidth of our of our brains essentially, or are we going to do as you have done so masterfully, Javi? Are we going to do something different and say, "Whoa, now I'm that's that's the old tape, and you know that's no longer something that I want to propagate anymore," and instead I'm going to bring myself messages of so that are self-loving and self-compassionate and in so doing be able to be a leader for young women everywhere. Yeah, wow. So that said, let's chat. <laughs> There's two more things I want to chat with you about. One are um, cultural expectations of females in Mexico versus the United States. And the other is just like representations of Latina women in the media. So um, I know you've already sort of touched on some of the cultural expectations of women in Mexico versus the United States, but is there anything more you want to say about that? Um, I mean, I, I think I really touched on it about being like curvy and then showing it off. Mm -hmm. That's definitely something that you will see, um, if you do go to Mexico, which is a really cool country. Um, yeah. <laughs> um I mean, and I, it's not, I won't necessarily say like, it's a horrible thing because like traditions in every country are different and we can't just say something's bad just because it's different, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm in the United States. I won't say it's like drastically different because there's people of so many different cultures that you will see the curvy, got it flaunted and you will see people that just uh, choose not to wear anything revealing and so I think the United States is an interesting um, perspective because people living here have seen people of so many different cultures and backgrounds and like educations that um, you really get to experience it all mm -hmm. yeah you really do so how about um representations of Latina women in popular media. Um, mm -hmm. what, are, what are the stereotypes that, you know, you mentioned some stereotypes like about sort of being the maid. Um, what other stereotypes are you seeing? And also what are your favorite shows and who are your favorite kind of Latina celebrity figures? Yeah, so um, I will say my favorite show is Jane the Virgin. Um, have you seen Jane the Virgin? I haven't. Okay, well, it's one of my favorites because um, not only is it just really entertaining, but I feel like I can really connect with Jane. Her name, her full name is Jane Gloriana Villanueva, and her she is is in a family. Her mother and her grandmother is an immigrant. Um, they're a Latina family, uh -huh. and there's definitely in that show a lot of representation of Spanish culture and um, I think that's a really beautiful representation of it mm. because there's a mix between Jane who is such like she's grown up with two really loving women in her life and she's very successful she has a kid spoiler alert um, <laughs> um, she she's just doing so well and then there's also like her mother who actually had Jane at the age of 16 and she was definitely what you will think of a stereotype with like 
very curvy and revealing, but she's also such a positive influence to Jane in the TV show. So I think it really brings home so many great aspects. Another one is the grandmother is a totally different dynamic of Latina culture. Mm -hmm. Um, She's very religious and um, only speaks Spanish. She barely speaks any English. Um, And that really reminds me of my grandmother who currently lives in California. She speaks, I, she doesn't speak English pretty much at all. Um, and she's also very religious and she's just such a sweet, loving being. Um, and I'm lucky just like Jane to be able to communicate with her in Spanish and also be able to have a world that I live in in English. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So Jane, the Virgin, I want to make sure that I put that in the description of our, um, of our podcast today as well. That's yes, like, every, all the listeners should go out and watch it. Season <laughs> four is coming out kind of soon. <laughs> and yeah. I was just reading in Time magazine this morning that Selena Gomez has just broken a record for the highest number of Instagram followers. What do you think of Selena Gomez? Oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't know that. Congratulations, Selena. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really have not formed a huge opinion on Selena but I will say that she she has I know like during Wizards of Waverly Place in back in that phase she did some um talks about speaking Spanish um on Disney Channel and just other forms of media so I think she was one of the initial faces of diversity in media mm-hmm. um especially like in the early 2000s so i I've been really excited when people say, oh, you look like Selena Gomez. I've caught that a few times. Oh, I can see that. Of course I can see that now. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a huge compliment because, like, she's she's definitely bringing diversity to the media, which I appreciate. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that, bringing diversity to the media. Obviously, there's a huge need for it. Obviously, disproportionately, you know, what we're seeing when we go to the movies or turn on the TV or Netflix are mostly white people. And so Mm -hmm. what do you think we need to do to 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 create a world wherein we're able to consume more media that actually is more reflective and representative of the the richness and the diversity that we actually are as a human being. I mean, as a human race, I mean, obviously the world is not white. <laughs> yes. That's very, um, I, I think it really starts with people, um, understanding and accepting that beauty is in so many shapes, colors, and sizes. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a huge, um, a huge, majority of modeling and just uh, pictures of people who are supposedly who are attractive Mm -hmm. and the majority of them are white skinny with big boobs Mm -hmm. and that is just so not the image the of course that's beautiful but that's not the only image of beautiful um I think campaigns that have been started, like, for example, Dove, um, the company Dove, mm-hmm. how they're showing. Um, and I think I think some other companies, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but companies that are doing modeling 
with women that are not just white um, mm-hmm. and skinny, but showing off the beauty that there is in having like different body shapes and especially skin color. That's such a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing in African-American models and Latina and Asian, like Middle Eastern mo- Muslim is a huge one. How um, I really like how women in hijabs are into marketing. Obviously, nowhere as much as they should be. Yeah. But I think it's slowly emerging, and I appreciate the 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 campaigns that are really pushing that. So I think the way that we can really get not only models, but people acting and just in the movies, TV shows and commercials is just being able to have so much acceptance for beauty. That's all shapes and sizes and colors. Yeah. Um, so a couple things that come to mind for me are uh, the trans model Monroe Bergdorf. Have you heard of her? I, I haven't heard of her, but I've seen pictures so of she's- many so she's trans and she's got some African American in her and she she basically called out white supremacists and L'Oreal UK fired her. Oh. Uh, did you hear about that story? I did not. So L'Oreal is one of those companies that is, you know, working on creating a you know a, an image of celebrating diversity and they've actually had more than one of their models uh they've they've let go or another model actually I heard quit the campaign after after Monroe basically got fired because she spoke she spoke out about white supremacy so it, it seems like you know what you're saying about the need for my more diversity this is so real but it was such a powerful point that she made you know when she said okay, well, this is powerful that they're actually hiring an openly transgender model as the face of a whole beauty campaign, right? You look at that and you think, wow, okay, that's real social social progress in action. But then when she, it's just kind of ironic, don't you think, that when she actually speaks out about the very thing that, that, there's, that L'Oreal is purportedly supporting in that situation, then she actually gets ditched. Wow. Yeah, that's very disturbing to <laughs> that's just really disturbing that a lot of people are a lot of companies will do this just to make more money, just to put themselves yeah. out there. It just such it's it's creating such a negative environment. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very um a negative environment. Yeah. It's a definitely um it's definitely a painful one and it's so important. I think it's amazing that she spoke out and that she had the courage to speak out because she surely knew that she was taking a risk by doing that, you know? And, um, it was so brave. And, but what she basically says is, okay, so sit still and smile in a beauty campaign, quote unquote, championing diversity, but don't actually speak about the fact that, that lack of diversity is due to racism, you know, or, or speak about the origins of racism. It'll cost you your job. Very, very powerful, um, voice. And I'm, she's going to be added to the love the skin you're in, love the skin you're in talk 
for our 2017-2018 school year because what she is saying is just, um, I think, really cuts to the core of it, you know, like, so it's now cool for these corporations. It's kind of like femvertising. Years ago, it became cool to with women to act like they were on their side. And so like with the Dove campaign for real beauty, right? Like come out with all these different, more diversified body types and ideals so that women think that, oh, you're the corporation that really has an empathy for what the female experience, quote unquote, is, you know? But mm-hmm. then then when push comes to shove, like in the case of Dove, they didn't actually... They didn't when when the truth in ads campaign got run, which was inviting corporations to take responsibility for their advertising by put, putting disclaimers on their ads, letting viewers know when things had been, you know, adjusted through Photoshop, to put it lightly. Um, <laughs> Dove, Dove was one of the companies that declined. They didn't sign the really? campaign, and so yeah, and Dove wow. is, Dove mm-hmm. is owned by Unilever. Okay, so their parent company is actually Unilever, which also owns Axe, which formerly has pr- produced some of the most misogynist campaign advertising ever. Um, but yeah. interestingly, Axe is now jumping on the bandwagon. So this 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 form of advertising has been termed femvertising, mm-hmm. which is when they actually go in and they're trying to appeal to women and um, appeal to women's quote unquote sensibilities and what will make women feel like we're actually a champion of female empowerment in one way or another. And since that has been so successful, like the Dove campaign for real beauty saw sales basically go through the roof with an increase in sales at 600% across North America and 700% in Europe, which is like in the world of sales, that's an astronomical leap right? That's like a yes. the cosmos in terms of sales going up, right? Like it, it was unheard of and unprecedented. And so since that has been so successful across the 10 years that Dove has been running this campaign, it's Unilever is not stupid, right? They're like, okay, well, this really worked with Dove when we did started this femvertising thing with women. So let's see what we can do with men now. And so they're actually you know, doing a campaign about masculinity now with guys that basically, you know, uses the same underlying premise, you know, that, okay, well, we can, you know, behave like we're on the side of men. And let's see if we can create an advertising campaign that, that appeals to, you know, men's real experiences in the world. So and and that's going very well for them as well. So it's, it's interesting. And it's, I think it's also really important to, um, you know, recognize companies that are doing this because in one way it's definitely an asset to us all. Like it was great when Mattel came out with a more diversified Barbie doll, right? Like we needed, we've long been (laughs) clamoring for Mattel to come out with a Barbie doll that's more representative. And so for them to come out with a whole lineup of different colors and shapes and sizes and heights, and that was something to definitely celebrate. But it's also important to not forget, right, that, for example, in 2014, Barbie was actually featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine. And so Barbie, a plastic doll, was in the place of a real live model. And that was seen as okay. And then Mattel, you know, when they were called out by feminists for that choice, Mattel responded to that by saying, 
Oh, by actually stealing the hashtag from Rihanna, hashtag unapologetic, which is right when Rihanna's song was coming out and mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is that, that they were, they felt totally fine about that choice. But how interesting is it that like through less than three years later, like two years later, they're basically releasing a diversified Barbie doll line because why? Because their sales had plummeted because the frozen dolls were flying off the shelves because people were voting with their dollars and people want to be buying dolls for their children that actually represent an ideal, uh, you know, that, that, that represents the values that they want their children to emulate and embody. So yeah, it's a big conversation. Wow. You just taught me a lot of, I didn't know about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because it's important to recognize that when it comes to corporations, the underpinnings are nearly universally always socioeconomic, you know, and we do see um, some more corporate responsibility in companies like Patagonia. Um, But disproportionately across the board, at the end of the day, the decisions that these marketers and advertisers are making, those decisions are driven by the bottom line. And even in the Dove campaign for Real Beauty, which we we all thought, oh, wow, how great we're being celebrated, even with that campaign, the reality of that campaign was, and I have a colleague who sat on the table. She was one of the video videographers and creators. She was one of 10 who worked on that campaign. And she basically said that they just, they, they sat around the table and they strategized how to do it. And, um, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of the, uh, the underbelly of the beast you know this culture is a fire-breathing dragon and it's really that's why it's so important for us as young women to like maintain our commitment to awakening from the cultural trance and to do that together and that's why there is nothing like the power of solidarity and sisterhood for sure you're totally right I want to ask you one more question you know because it's so relevant to this conversation right now do you have some comments that you'd like to make about DACA um, for sure. <laughs> well, it's not only being the daughter of an immigrant, but having so many friends and people that I know that came from different countries, it breaks my heart beyond, or I guess my heart's a muscle. So, um, <laughs> it just, it's so horrible and just saddening to see a a fantastic program like that being towards on the journey of being closed down. Um, I think the root of Trump's decision to want to end DACA is it's racism. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Just the fear that people from other countries can somehow be as great as Americans. Um, And it's, it's really if you if you really look at the root of it, like families will be torn apart and children will who are now young adults who came to the United States as children and don't know anywhere else except the United States. They just know their home country by the traditions and values brought to the United States. The risk of them being sent back. That's imagine just being shipped off to a country you've never been to or just don't remember. And 
it's just, it's so saddening and scary for anybody who might have that risk coming towards them. And I'm just really upset that it's, that's an idea of closing that up. Mm -hmm. And what do you feel that we can do as citizens in the face of this? Um, I think the first and foremost thing is just allowing people who are being truly affected by this, um, let them know that you like you personally accept them because um many people feel so marginalized by this right now feel like they're being kicked out of a country they feel they belong to that a country they feel they're american um and they are american and now the government of america is saying you're not american so just allowing people to know that they are accepted and they are loved no matter where they came from Mm -hmm. um I think that's just really important. Inclusivity is so important. Mm-hmm. I think so too. I went to the, I called it the love rally at the Civic Center in San Francisco last month. And mm-hmm. Michael Franti played and it was just so beautiful. And there were so many incredible signs. And honestly, it was really one of one of the peak life experiences I've had of just feeling like I'm floating in a sea of love. It was just really wonderful to be around a group of committed citizens who had all chosen to come out and bring their voice, the power of their voices and the power of their presence to to show up and take a stand for love. Yeah, that's I'm so glad you participated in that because that's exactly the type of things that the United States needs right now. Yeah, I think so, too. Mm. Mm. Well, Javi, this has been so wonderful to chat with you today, and I think love is a good note to uh, to say goodbye on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. I had a really good time. I had a wonderful time, too. And can I ask you, can, so can you say goodbye to us in both Spanish and Hebrew? Oh, <laughs> um, okay, well, in English, goodbye, everyone. In Spanish, <laughs> adios, nos vemos pronto. In Hebrew, lehi traut. Lehi traut means I'll I'll see you soon again. Or laila tov means good night. We're not really at night yet, but approaching <laughs> there. Also, shalom means hello, goodbye, and peace. So there you learn three new Hebrew words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You just expanded my vocabulary. <laughs> So today we've been talking with Javi Carrillo, a Mexican-American Jewish young woman and uh, who lives in Fairfax County, Virginia. Thank you, Bree. This is Bree Mathers from Love the Skin You're In, celebrating the voices of young women 13 through 30 who are using their genius to move beyond pretty and create a softer world. 